when we are free to be ourselves, it frees up so many system resources. Instead of having to pretend that we are somebody that we're not, we get to be authentically ourselves. And that is a much cooler existence. Episode one, welcome to Autistica. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Well, hey, welcome. This is our first episode and we are so glad you're here. We want to welcome you to the Autistic Culture Podcast. And look, there are a lot of great podcasts about autism. I think I listen to most of them because special interest. But um, this is going to be a little bit different. So if you know you're autistic or maybe you love someone who is, we are going to be exploring not just autism from a strengths-based perspective, but from a cultural lens. And I got this idea uh, when I was listening to um, Meg Proctor's amazing podcast, Two Sides of the Spectrum, and I heard my now co-host, Matt Lowry, sharing his uh, story, The Fable of Autistica. And it really hit me that like deaf culture, autistic culture really has everything to be a culture. So we can talk about diagnosing people with a strengths-based lens. We can talk about, you know, writing reports and IEPs from a strengths-based lens. But as an autistic adult, and I was diagnosed at 39, I was like, let's celebrate our culture. I have a lot of Italian-American pride. I've been celebrating that since I was born. And Matt, I'm so excited you're here because you really introduced me to the idea of autistic culture and maybe celebrating autistic culture itself. So why don't you, uh, I don't know, say hello and then share a little bit about your amazing story that lays it all out. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm glad to be co-hosting the podcast with you. Uh, yeah. So a while back, it occurred to me that there's been a lot of autistic people who have contributed major parts of our culture from uh, the guy who created Pokemon to the guy who created Snoopy to 
all sorts of comedians, all sorts of authors, all sorts of very impressive people are autistic and they've created these major contributions. And so that's when I wrote The Legend of Autistica because we really need to refocus on all of these things that make us great as autistic people and celebrate them. Because when you when you identify as autistic, when you start to understand who you really are, then you can celebrate these things. You can celebrate our attention to detail. You could celebrate how our people love to have libraries and we love to have museums. We love to have our animals in our gardens. We love all of these very, very important things to us. And we see the world in a very distinct way. And we gravitate towards autistic creators who share this vision with us. And when they're able to express this. Not just us. I mean, I feel like the world loves autistic creators. Like collectibles and like every figurine collection you've ever seen would probably not exist without an autistic person somewhere. And certainly not only autistic people are collecting them. So Exactly. Uh, Well, stuff like Pokemon is the most popular video game in the world. And there's something about the autistic voice that people find very appealing. Uh, People of all neurotypes. And I, I think that that's the great thing that when people see this and celebrate it, it's something that we can be very, very proud of. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do here. I'm excited about that. I don't, do you know the website Wrong Planet, Alex Blake's? Oh, yes. Wrong Planet. So I love Alex. He's a friend of mine. And when I first got diagnosed, I found Wrong Planet and it was a total lifeline for me. I was like, finally, people are explaining how the world works to me. And it's funny, but like, wrong planet is how it sometimes feels, I think, being dropped into a neurotypical world. But also, what if it's just like a different planet, a different culture, not necessarily wrong? I mean, I don't know. Do you find that it it sometimes feels wrong? Your story captures that so well. Maybe we could talk a little bit about the emperor and the typicals. (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, Emperor Nero typicles. Because that's the thing. Uh, it seems like so many people are are really focused on just the most basic things. And uh, it we uh, I think that the world in general craves novelty. I think the world in general craves more interesting stories, but uh, some people just don't really like that. so they, they try to turn it away, and that's that's very unfortunate for everybody. But if we create a world that's more open for, so that where everyone can be themselves, mm. I think that everyone would benefit. I yeah. think that living the, the autistic life would benefit autistics and allistics alike, because that way even allistic people are more free to unmask and find themselves too. Well, I, fe- I have a... Um... I have like a sign in my office that says, take me as I am or watch me as I go. Yes, exactly. uh, I got that the day I was diagnosed. And my diagnosis was a really empowering experience for me because I was able to just say like, this is who I am. And now I'm going to be more fully expressed and stop spending so many of my resources trying to act like everyone else. Like my main job until I was 39 was try and figure out 
all these people from typically and the way that they're acting. How can I act like them? And let me tell you, I sucked at it. I was not good. I was a failure at this task. Yeah. And then when someone told me, oh, no, you're from a different planet. Like maybe it's even the wrong planet, but you're from a different planet. We dropped you here. You're from Autistica. Then I was like, oh, well, now that I know that I'm an eagle and not a chicken, I can stop trying so hard to be a chicken because this shit's exhausting. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And that's the big thing. Uh, That's the, okay, so, so many people think that autism is this just, no eye contact and half, uh, hand flapping, <laughs> but it's actually a, a hyper-connected brain. And mm. because that hyper-connected brain, we seek a lot of data. We seek novelty. We seek information. We love research. We love all of these things very, very, very passionately. And I, I think that because of that, we, we see the world differently. We interact differently. And when we are free to be ourselves, it frees up so many system resources. Instead of having to pretend that we are somebody that we're not, we get to be authentically ourselves. And that is a much cooler existence. Uh, I love that. I. Uh, it will not surprise you, Matt, to know my first and my favorite special interest of all times is books. Oh, of course. Shocker. But um, but for me, this all started with the Choose Your Own Adventure series. Oh, I was obsessed. So this is what I did. Other people read books. What I did is I got every single Choose Your Own Adventure. And then I mapped out in my journals what all the possible paths were. And then I would compare all the different stories. But what's really interesting is what I do for a living is I help people write book outlines. So I'm a book publisher. I'm a book doctor. I consult with people. I help them figure out what their book is about. And I was obsessed with these choose your own adventure books at nine years old. I didn't just want to read the stories. I wanted to understand what are all the different outlines? How could this book play out? And then I would compare them and look at the patterns and newsflash, all choose your own adventure books are the exact same book. Like they change the tea house to a, you know, street corner, like they change different variables, but they all have the same pattern. And I saw that in fourth grade and I wanted to like tell everyone and no one actually cared as it turned out. Your research revealed an algorithm and it was accurate. (laughs) So good. It's my favorite. But I love that. Like we're, we're doing that all the time. And I think... When we do it, we, number one, give a gift to other people. Like the gift for me, most of my clients are neurotypical and they can't see those patterns in a book outline like I can. Like they can tell me, I have them tell me 30 to 100 things they want to put in a book and I can whip together in an hour an outline for them because I've been doing research since I was nine and I'm 49 years now. So I got 40 years of research on how to do a kick-ass book book outline. So that's a gift we give to the broader culture, to neurotypical culture. But I also think when we are more fully expressed and spending less time masking, it also gives the gift of, hey, maybe you could be a little bit more of yourself too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, because I find that uh, a listed culture is very, very much uh, uh, 
bogged down by conformity. And I'm not sure where or when it started. Uh, it might be a colonialism sort of thing, but it, it, it seems like they, they place a lot of value on being exactly like everyone else. And, you know, like I say, you, no one ever got ahead and no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Mm. And that's why I think that, you know, autistic people have gotten so much success because we, we can't live any other way. We can't live a healthy life any other way other than being ourselves. Sadly, when the revolution comes, we're probably the ones up against the wall first. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the downside. Pop your head off and it might get pop your head up and it might get chopped off. I think that's part of that holistic culture of like safety above everything else. And somehow our volume is turned down low on the safety factor. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, Check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. I was uh, listening to a, a training one time with uh, an holistic psychological evaluator, and she was talking about how horrified she was talking with autistic children because autistic children quote don't have a healthy fear of adults and i mm. found that horrifying because she was very very upset that autistic children treated her like an equal instead of giving her her due reverence as a uh, as an adult and an adult medical professional and i think that that's another thing for us because we we tend to be very egalitarian in these sort of things and say oh yes i like this thing do you like this thing oh you like that thing i like that thing and we we are very uh, equal in that regard. But uh, this is something that I think holistic society really, really frowns upon. And uh, they I find love that a hierarchy. They yes. love a hierarchy. And, and this is the thing about uh, holistic small talk, because holistic small talk is two parts. One, are you fine? I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you fine? How is the weather? The weather is weather. Do you like the weather? And it, it's, it's weathering. Exactly. It's essentially uh, uh, sonar ping. Uh, make mouth noises. Other person makes mouth oh, noises back. Oh, is that what they're doing? And to acknowledge that you are, in fact, human. Uh, because, well, well, that's a whole other thing we'll get to in a yeah. minute. But, but uh, the, the second The part, whole how are you thing. I'm like, yeah. why are we doing this? Because it's no to one, acknowledge you're human. Yeah, no one ever wants to know how you're actually doing. We expect fine. And it's just... Uh, uh, again, echo location to say, are you going to say the, are you going to give the code word? Yes, the code word is fine. <laughs> oh, and, I love this. And, and the other part is essentially establishing a hierarchy to do, to figure out how much respect to give to you. Because like, you know, this person was saying about, you know, the reverence and all, mm -hmm. uh, if somebody says, hi, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a plumber. Oh, well, I'm a neurosurgeon. So I'm going to talk down to you because you are a plumber. Instead of us saying, hi, I like Roblox. Do you like Roblox? Well, I prefer Minecraft. Minecraft is also fun. Let's talk about Minecraft. And that's this is a big difference between us because yeah. we don't go for this this hierarchy. We don't go for this social uh, exclusion stuff because uh, I, I don't think that that's just how we're wired. But again, this goes back to the the, the sonar ping to identify who 
the, the uh, pr- socially appropriate response because again, we fall into an uncanny valley for allistics because we have a very different body language. And if uh, this video is being shown, you can see that I'm not looking at the camera. I'm swaying back and forth. I'm moving my hands around and I'm speaking in an autistic accent. And when holistics encounter that, they know that there's something different about us, but they're not quite sure if we're a body snatcher or a ditto or taking human form. Yeah, they... It's like they're not getting that sonar ping that's like, exactly. how are you? Fine. Okay, I got the ping. Instead, yeah. they're like, weird, you're weird. I'm getting a weird alarm. The weird alarm is going off. Now yeah. what am I going to do to distance myself from you or other you? Because I just got the wrong sonar ping back. Yeah, yeah. research has shown that this uh, wrong sonar ping is, is the reason why there's a large amount of discrimination against autistic people, because this just, we fall into the uncanny valley, there's something different about us, it makes them uncomfortable, and then therefore they don't want to be friends with us. Mm, fascinating. Despite, again, so many contributions uh, to culture being made by autistic people, so many beloved characters being autistic-coded. Yeah, and they'll take those. I mean, this is where we get into the like cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Um, So, but I want to dial it back a little bit and I want to talk about what is culture? What are we going to talk about on this podcast? And why do we believe that there is an autistic culture? That autism, looking at it through the lens of ASD or autism spectrum disorder is, you know, a lens it's certainly a popular lens, but our lens is looking at it through, hey, this is a different culture. And culture has mannerisms, like we've been talking about, greetings, things like that. It has art, it has music, it has language, it has fashion, rituals, food. And I would say those are all things that autism has that is unique to autism, but we really haven't celebrated as a culture because we've been spending a lot of time diagnosing the symptoms that maybe come from being told not to be a part of this culture. Exactly. And, and that's the thing, because due to the, the due to the neurotypical and the holistic uh, view that this is something that needs to be cured. So many people undergo like behaviorism and ABA to try to force us to not do these things, to force us to not. It's like, can you imagine if there was a whole branch of psychology dedicated to making people not be Italian-American? Like, exactly. don't talk with your hands. Don't say manja. Don't use words that are not all American all the time. I mean, I guess in a way we did have that. My parents both have um, my parent, my grandparents spoke Italian. My parents both have American names and were told never tell anyone you're Italian. You should blend into the culture. And that's what's happening right now. Like when we're talking about ABA, this is not something from the 50s when my parents were growing up. This is right now. It's not like they used to tie left-handed kids left hand behind their back, you know, yeah. in the past. Right now, we tell people, don't be autistic. We don't like it. Tie your hand behind your back. Pretend you're not Italian. And with like the indigenous boarding schools where Mm. indigenous children were shipped off and taught to, quote, act white, uh, 
this is the same thing that's happening at the Judge Rotenberg Center at this very moment. And these are all very, very oppressive things, very, very discriminatory things. Okay, that we got to go back. What's the Judge Rotenberg oh, Center, just so uh, people know about this? It, it is a place in Massachusetts that is uh, well known for using uh, the GED graduated electronic devices, uh, essentially putting shock collars on children and shocking them with 10 times the electricity that you would find in a police taser. Uh, whenever they act autistic, if yeah. someone stims or flaps or repeats what other people say, or this one time true story, someone called in a fake report uh, as a prank and said, hey, this kid is acting bad, shock them 75 times. And without checking in on anybody, they shocked the child 75 times because now, that's the kind of oversight. Today. Uh, yeah, actually, like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. We so you, when you hear about like the boarding schools in Canada, the residential schools, and we hear 1997, it's like, yeah. God, that was a minute ago. Yeah. That seems so recent. No, we're talking about things happening now. Still ongoing. Still ongoing because we don't have this awareness of autism is a culture. It's not even when we say, and I know you do strengths-based diagnosis, but mm -hmm. even when we say strengths-based diagnosis, which by the way is better than the alternative, we're still acknowledging that like there is a uh, pathological-based diagnosis that's there. Yes. And what I'm excited to do here, even though we've given you a little bit of a setup, but it is to dive into what are the fun things about our culture that are to be celebrated? What are the contributions that we're making that as autistics, or if you love someone who's autistic, that you can acknowledge and say, hey, this comes from your culture and let's celebrate it. And one of the first ones that you brought to uh, into my awareness that I love your take on is the autistic accent. So I get oh. a lot of comments on my voice. A lot of times I'll talk with a kind of a pressured speech. Sometimes people tell me I talk too fast. Sometimes I take weird pauses, but I have a kind of unique way of speaking and I thought it was me, but maybe you have more to say on this matter. Yeah, that's that's a very easy way for us to identify each other because this oh, due to the way our brain is wired, we have what we call interoceptive differences. And that meaning that we don't pay attention to the signals that our meat body is sending us like uh, holistic people do. And one of those signals is whether or not we should breathe. So uh, we we might end up breathing in the middle of a sentence. <gasps> like that. Or we might talk and talk and talk and get into a whole big thing where we say a very long run on sentence so we don't remember to breathe because we have a lot of stuff to say and we have need to have a lot of need to get it out. And we just keep talking and talking and talking until <gasps> we can't say anymore. And the allistics refer to this as monotone, disjointed, pedantic speech with tangential conversation and difficulty modulating breathing as we speak. And we will go off on tangents whenever we come up with a, something very interesting. So one of the great things about autistic culture is a tendency to talk with many different conversational threads going at the same time. And then we bounce back and forth between conversation A, B, C, and D. 
because everything is on topic, but we need to have them all running concurrently, and it might drive some people nuts. But this is a very appealing. Yeah. So this is called this is called mazing. Yes. And this is one of the things I had a really good friend once who's like, can you just tell a story straight? Like, why do you go off on so many tangents? And like, I really like it became an issue in our friendship. But when I'm talking to someone who is autistic, it does feel very logical to me. Like I can hold the threads. And when I meet someone who can hold all the threads, I get really excited. I'm like, oh, you can track all the threads too. This is one thing that I'm really excited about participating in this podcast with you, because I think that we will, given our tendency to maze while talking, we're going to be a very informative, hopefully, and uh, fun to listen to uh, presenters for an audience that really, really gets this. So if people have listened so far and said, oh, hey, that sounds familiar, this is definitely up their alley. And we'll be able to talk much more about how all this works. Yeah. So with in holistic culture, um, a lot of times they use voice modulation. Like there's a lot of, I'm, I'm, I identify as a woman. I'm, I'm born as a woman and I have been around a lot of like sorority girls meeting each other. And there is a squealing and screaming thing that seems to be part of holistic culture that is, I think, very uh, exciting for They seem to enjoy it in their culture. When we mod- when we show excitement, it's usually not based on like up and down. It's more based on speed, like rate and pitch. So it could be loudness, but not the uh, like swooping up and down. Uh, which Sing-songy does something. sort of thing. Sings, yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting when you hear this. And then there's also in, in, you know, regular culture accents, there's bias again. So like my husband is British and he gets free shit for being British. It's amazing. Ah. People get so excited that they get to meet someone with a British accent. They will just give him things. And then like, I know. Oh, look, it's a Doctor Who. Yeah, they get really excited. And then you're you're in Kentucky? I am. And there are you don't have a southern accent, but I bet you know a lot of people who do and there are definitely opinions that people form around southern accents. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh I I have heard people who go to the northern states and northerners ask if they wear shoes at home because yeah. that is Yeah, yeah, that's that's apparently the the image that the Kentucky accent fosters. So what do you think when someone hears a an autistic accent? What do you think are some of the stereotypes that that holistics might form about us? That uh, so in my experience, uh, I once had a coworker who said that well said, quote, Matt, y'all talk funny. Where y'all from? And I said, the moon. And she said, no, seriously, where are y'all from? I said, the dark side of the moon. That's why you can't find my hometown. And I, I think that that's a thing because unless they they know someone who has an autistic accent, they don't have any frame of reference. And we are just alien. Okay, I'm going to give you what I think it is. Oh. And I like this. But uh, uh, nerd. Yeah. 
I think it's, but I'm like pro nerd. Um, sign me I up for nerd. nerd camp. I'm yeah. all in. But I think, and maybe this comes from, cause I want to talk about autistic culture and entertainment in art, in music, in TV, movies, like Sheldon Cooper, mm-hmm. who talks like us, is identified as a nerd. Uh, Urkel, who oh, I yeah. think might also be in the club. He's identified as a nerd. And so I think there's like the way you might think a British person. I promise you they're not all smart. I I know a lot of them. But you hear a British accent and you think smart. You hear a Southern accent and you think shoeless. Uh, I think you hear an autistic accent and you think nerd. And we we kind of are nerdy for our things. Yeah. I, nerd means like go deep, scientific, research. Like we are all of that. That is our culture. The, the first time I ever heard somebody speak like I do was Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters. And as soon as I heard that, I knew, oh, this is my guy because he is autistic in real life. He wrote his character as being autistic. Both Ray and Egon are canonically autistic. And uh, he he talks with great passion. He talks with great intensity. He talks with great detail. And every line he delivers is something extraordinary that uh, most people wouldn't even think about stringing that sequence of words together. And it became incredibly interesting for me to hear, incredibly interesting for me to learn more about. And uh, again, very nerdy, very, very intelligent, and just uh, a fantastic way to be. He became a role model for me. Yeah. Um, so Ghostbusters is definitely a whole world. Uh, we can do a little bit of surmising that maybe Star Wars is part of oh, arti- yeah. autistic culture. Have you seen the documentary of uh, Light and Magic that's on Disney Plus? No, but I do have Disney Plus. Oh, my. Yes. You should check that out because George Lucas and everybody at ILM has autistic traits. I mean, the entire special effects house, the guy who invented the Pixar computer, incredibly autistic. uh, uh, Phil Tippett talks for several minutes about all of his autistic traits, then wrongly surmises that he's bipolar because he talks about how he uh, gets involved in his interests, how he forgets to eat and sleep, how he dedicates all of his time, how uh, all of this stuff. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm just bipolar. Uh, So he did uh, uh, shrooms. So, you know, no, bruh. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's the thing. George Lucas, his entire thing is that his two stage directions were faster and more intense. And he would write out these big, long sequences of dialogue that uh, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford could not say because that's how he writes. That's how he mm. thinks. He, he was much more involved in the world building than in the dialogue. Also, he had autistic burnout while making the first Star Wars movie because he couldn't effectively communicate with the Allistic crew members. Yeah, it's exhausting. That's a yeah. lot. Yeah, so he just fell apart. You, we talked about uh, Snoopy oh, and yes. that whole world, Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz was fantastically autistic. And that is like a world. And then Pokemon's like oh, a world. Yes. And at the Marvel multiverse, oh, yeah. I think there's a bunch of autistic people in that. So when it comes to art and that part of our culture, I have a theory that um, we create worlds. Oh, it's yes. not, it's not just that we make movies, 
or come up with a game like Pokemon or an app or something, but we really create worlds. So what are some of your favorite autistic worlds? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Star Wars. Man, what do I have around here? Uh, it turns out that the guy who created Conan the Barbarian was probably autistic. What? Uh, as uh, was H.P. Lovecraft because they hung out together. And... They, they had this uh, neat little writing group that, uh, that they got together and shared a universe together. And it was fantastic. Autistic playgroups for the win. <laughs> we love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed, and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy Matt. If you see a whole intact world and you notice that like every single thing matches up perfectly, like when I first looked at those Pokemon cards, oh, yeah. I was like, God, like there's no way this dude is not autistic. Yeah. Because that level of detail and then everything matches up. And by the way, we will be obsessively making sure every single thing matches up and makes sense and holds up. Because we love research. Yeah. So fun. So this, one of my favorite theories around autism has to do with monotropism. So oh, monotropism yes. is like, we can go super deep and build this authentic world. But then there are a bunch of things that distract us from that and are annoying, like having to go to the bathroom or drink. That is annoying when you're trying to like, think of mapping out Pokemon and how yeah. much of your energy that would take. Do you have time to make a cup of coffee? No, you fucking don't. Yeah. That is a big distraction. One of the big ones for me, I have all the sensory things, but one of the biggest, hardest ones for me is food. Yeah. And at like what I say is cornflakes is the height of spiciness for me. Uh, I like everything in the, let's say, beige realm. I can do a light orange to like a dark cream, uh, but vanilla ice cream, mashed potatoes, uh, mac and cheese. All like safe that, foods. Yes, I am on the safe foods list. And that was one of the things that I spent 39 years trying to fix. I mean, I... Every single day of my childhood, I was yelled at for being a picky eater. I don't know if you're in the picky eater club. But yeah. I think we got some great food in autistic culture. I do not think you would. I made a butter board the other night. Very excited about my butter board. You spread delicious butter on a board. You get bread and you scoop it up. Bread Ooh. and butter. That is the height of autistic food culture. I am an autistic foodie. I don't know about these fancy oysters and sriracha shenanigans, but I can kill some bread and butter. 
I believe that anyone who eats buttered noodles is probably one of us because that every time I hear buttered noodles, that's uh, definitely uh, it, it. It goes along with, again, all these other sensory sensitivities that makes us who we are. Yeah. Some people call it tasteless, but let me tell you, buttered noodles. I mean, I don't know if all listics don't want to play. I uh, will still have an incredible autistic feast with buttered noodles, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, vanilla ice cream, bread and butter, like bring on the beige food. I could do a whole restaurant, I'm sure. I have at least 20 foods I'll eat. My son and I always eat the Thanksgiving McNugget platter. Mm, I would like some Thanksgiving McNuggets. Exactly. Um, so the kids menu is basically designed for me is what I'm saying oh, yeah. here. So, uh, but that is our, that is our unique food. And it is, when I go to a restaurant, I'm, I'm off, I am often looking at the kids menu. I'm looking for foods that fit my culture. And I know when, uh, I, I was married to somebody who is from India. And when his parents came over, they were looking, even when we'd go to non-Indian restaurants for foods that reminded them of their culture. And so I think that's like something we can celebrate because there is a lot of great autistic food. And instead, most of my relationship with food was being told I'm picky. But I, I yeah, I'm all in for celebrating uh, what what food we do love. I recently realized that I've never liked soda and my disdain for carbonation is actually related to my sensitivities. So I drink a lot of water. I saw a meme the other day about how sparkling water is actually angry water because, you know, uh, that 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 leads, leads an extra level of hostility in your mouth that fights back. Yeah. So, yeah. It's true. That's how I feel. So here's for non-hostile foods. So, yeah. uh, and also non-hostile clothes. So I think there is autistic fashion. I think we had a moment during the pandemic where our simple styles came through. But what are your thoughts on autistic fashion? I think that, again, the pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes to the, the existence of autistic fashion. And autistic fashion is centered around comfort rather than uh, this, this display. Because I, myself, am sitting in khaki cargo shorts and no shoes at the moment because I like being at home and I like to have my toes roaming free. And I, I think that a lot of autistic people will I- enjoy T-shirts and sweatpants and stuff that moves freely rather than is constraining for the purpose of, again, the, the holistic display of hierarchy and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, why else would we intentionally wear a noose around our necks? That seems insane to me. I, I hate uh, I hate ties. Not a tie guy. Yeah, I, I just cannot stand that pressure around my neck all the time. Uh, and as soon as I became a private practitioner, I, I decided I will never, ever, ever again wear a tie. Yeah, there's another side of this too. Uh, so Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, I think Mark Zuckerberg, although it's unconfirmed. Uh, but those guys do something with their fashion that I would say is very autistic, which is basically having a uniform, a really basic uniform. Yeah, yeah, a ton of black shirts and maybe some jeans. And uh, we all wear the same clothes every day. I myself have like nine black shirts, three pairs of shorts, and uh, all socks look the same because it 
So we have a thing called process complexity, where mm. we see the details rather than the big picture. And the more our brain tries to process these details, the more exhausted we become. So if you start off the day trying to figure out what you're going to wear, that takes away energy that could be used literally anywhere else during the day. So you don't want to start off the day exhausted already. So it's just yeah. much easier to have the same thing every day and know, yes, the shirt will fit. It will not be bunched up. It will not be too hot. It will not be too cold. You've already pre-approved everything in there and you don't have to worry about it going together because again that's another holistic fashion thing uh if if fashion is your special interest uh if you spin on fashion that's fantastic uh but then if if it's your spin then you're going to be energized by it instead of drained by it which is a whole different thing so uh for those of us who are not spun by uh fashion this just becomes uh, an easier way to start off your day and to have more energy throughout the day. Yeah. So this is why I am a monotropist. I really believe that is the string theory of autism is really based around our interests and our ability to go far more deep than neurotypicals on oh, yes. our special interests, building these worlds um, in the land of science and technology. It really... Uh, I think most software engineers are oh, probably yeah. uh, autistic. I think there's a lot of researchers, even in academia, uh, but we are like data seekers and it all comes from this monotropism. And then some of the other parts of our culture, like our simple foods and generally simple fashions, again, unless your special interest is food or fashion. Um, but a lot of our culture is built around making space for our deep passions and interests, which often lie in science. So who are some of your favorite autistic scientists? That that brings up a Saturday morning breakfast cereal cartoon that I love to show people because uh, it, it starts off saying, you know, autistic people are overrepresented in research science because we love data seeking, we love research. But that means, oh my God, Autism causes vaccines because oh. we do the research. We, do, we did the research yeah, together. Exactly. So yeah, so we've so we've solved the mystery of the root cause of 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 autism. It's not that autism uh, vaccines cause autism. It's that autism causes vaccines. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I mean, honestly, if. For instance, like Jonas Salk, uh, curing polio and then giving away the patent because it's for the greater good. That's, That's a, so autistic. Yeah, yeah. Because again, uh, it's not based on hierarchy. It's not based on the ability to profit from it. Because Nikola Tesla, autistic. Uh, Thomas Edison, allistic. Because uh, Nikola Tesla invents doomsday machines just to see if he can. Whereas Thomas Edison, everything has to be profitable. And mm -hmm. he takes other people's ideas and tries to profit from them and electrocuting an elephant just so that he can get his direct current rather than uh, Tesla's alternating current. So we should talk about this uh, just a little bit uh, as we near the end of our first episode. But I do think fairness and justice oh, are yes. a big part of autistic culture that we're probably going to talk about here. So where do you think that comes from? It seems, you know, it seems almost like a political ideology, but that is a big part of our culture is fairness, equity. So there's because of 
the hyper-connected brain, there's this thing called the intense world theory. Because we, we don't have a sensory filter to tune out extraneous data, we process far, far, far more, far much more data than neurotypicals do. And because of that, the world is in a constant state of chaos. And because of that, we have to make rules for the world. We are very, very much adherent to these rules for daily functioning. What is right? What is wrong? What is fair? What is unfair? Because if things are unfair, we get intensely bothered by it. Uh, autistic kids in school uh, get in trouble a lot for like tattletelling or telling other kids not to flip the light switches on and off or doing these things. And even as adults, we say, oh, that person is being treated unfairly. We must rectify that. Because again, it's... Uh, Number one, we have been the recipient of that ourselves. Autistic people are much more likely to be bullied and ostracized and uh, uh, treated unfairly than uh, a lot of other people. So therefore, when we see people of other groups being treated unfairly, we have empathy for them. We actually have a thing called hyper empathy because we hyper identify with people in similar situations. So we, we inevitably want to fight on behalf of other people which is why uh, the, uh, I, I am involved in a lot of advocacy for other people. Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. Uh, I, I, I am a rabid advocate for disenfranchised people because this is our drive for fairness, our drive for equity. And I think that that's a big thing for us. I'm going to say, I think that's my favorite thing about our culture and being in a group of autistic people uh, is for me, like, it's so, so much of life is spent with all, uh, all listics and making decisions about where I'm going to act in a way that might support the ongoing hegemony. And it's exhausting. But when you can hang out with other autistics and just how clear that sense of fairness is and fighting to get injustices corrected, it's like the anecdote to reading any Kafka novel, which I find most of Kafka like painful to read because that is like my worst nightmare is being imprisoned and not being able to fight it. And there's no one to talk to and bureaucracy and we didn't even talk about my issues with phonophobia because those phone trees, they are not for autistic people. In our world, people answer the phone. I'm going to tell you, we're going to be talking to people on the phone. If we if we have to use a phone, it will not be with a phone tree. But also yeah. we would rather just text. Yeah. Just yeah. so you know, text us. Text your autistic friends. This so, is the way. <laughs> this is the way. So we have so much fun stuff to explore here. We're going to go deep because that's what we do. I know we've got a lot of fun stuff to cover in terms of art, music, literature. Of course, we're going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about TV shows, food, fashion, science, so many things that are a part of autistic culture that you can celebrate. And we want to hear those celebrations from you. We want to know who are your favorite autistic people? What are your favorite autistic inventions? What are things about the autistic culture that you celebrate as an autistic person? And Matt, I'm going to give you the last word on our first episode, but what is your favorite thing about autistic culture? The passion. 
I love the passion. I love the detail. I love the worlds. I, I, I love the fact that because of the monotropism, we dive into it and autistic culture provides a safe place to dive into that. Autistic creators give us the worlds to play in and man, it's fun. Yeah, well, we're going to have a lot of fun here. We're glad you're with us. Make sure you share this with somebody autistic that you know and love and be a part of the Autistic Culture Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else.